Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Bear and Federated Insurance. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host. So good to be with you today. I got a I got a great episode planned for you today. It's uh, really fascinating stuff. Um, these are these are for the folks that are um, super production minded and um, you're you're wanting to get a better handle on productivity, job costing performance of your people, allocation of resources. This is this is kind of a nuts and bolts conversation, which is so important because the you know my whole philosophy in in this business, in this sector, is that it comes down to two things. You have to do two things really well. You have to get the work and you have to do the work. Right. And and often when we don't have enough work, we're so frantic about finding the work that we neglect how we're going to even perform it and we end up getting ourselves into trouble because we don't understand the true cost of the job we don't know we don't understand how to maximize the performance um you know when as this is coming out um we are still in the winter season we're still in the 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 less busy time and you might be employing techniques like um reducing your pricing offering discounts right and in a supply and demand economy where you have a business that is particularly price elastic meaning your prices go up and down depending on the demand what happens is you have a lot of competitors out there who are um, lowering their prices to try and get the job that's causing you to lower your prices or else you're just not winning jobs and as a result, you lower your price. Well, if everybody lowers the price and we're not covering our costs appropriately, then all of a sudden we're paying out for a job. And, and what happens? You panic. You start cutting corners. You start um, pushing the crew harder and faster than they should be pushed. And everybody's stressed out. Everybody is um, burning out. And it's not even the busy season yet, right? And, and I, you know, I know from personal experience, you, you put a bid on that job, trying to get the price down, trying to make it so that you can actually win the job. Then you get in the job and the crew isn't performing as, as fast as they need to for you to make a profit. You're eyeing the end of that job and you're looking at the dwindling, dwindling profits. And all of a sudden you're making bad choices, right? It happens too often. And the solution to this issue is knowing your numbers, being able to job cost accurately, being able to tie your labor hours to the productivity. And I'm really excited to have Mr. Isaac Barlow from Busy Busy to talk about this topic today. Before we jump in to the show, don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts or spotify wherever you're listening to your podcast and download the app pca overdrive uh that's 600 hours of uh, video content um primarily educational it's mostly business education you should be able to get a really nice business education from this app pca overdrive uh go to pcapainted.org to check it out um and uh yeah and 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 you know listen follow me you know follow me i I, i'm producing stuff too uh at craftsman painter um on our youtube channel craftsman painter uh at at youtube we've got some good videos coming out all the time i've got articles coming out on my blog and um our uh our brand new collective uh craftsmanpainter.com backslash collective um members of our collective get exclusive content and uh chat groups and and uh asynchronous coaching go to craftsmanpainter.com backslash collective to join the revolution 
all right so i, I want to jump into the show um to to kind of you know build this up a little bit so over the over the course of the the last i would say year um as i've been uh you know increase the elevating my level of education through my master's program um i've i've become very keyed in to this fundamental flaw in the way that we are evaluating and, and, and estimating our jobs and and that is the fact that when you have a team of people that they have different skill levels and the different skill levels produce different outputs meaning that if I go in and I say, okay, my production rate is that uh, we need to be able to do, I don't know, I'm going to make up a number, 100 square feet in an hour. Well, is that your, is that for your fast guy, your slow guy, or your guy that's somewhere in between? Because if, if what you did is you tracked the average of everybody and you put together that production rate based on the average, what you have is the production rate of none of them because you have the production rate of the average. And so your fast guy is looking at the 100 square feet per hour and knowing full well that he could do 150 or 200 uh, gives him a little breathing room. He can kind of slow down. He can kind of take his time. And then you got the, the young guy knowing full well that if, if you want the quality out of him, he needs to take his time and do 50 square feet an hour now he's hustling and bustling trying to get to the 100 square feet and now it doesn't look good so this this core issue in the way that that most people tell you how to estimate is is something that i have been trying to i've been trying to crack this nut for the last year i i believe that i've done it i believe that i've done it through my point system but i believe there are other ways to do it and i'm hoping that this conversation can enlighten us uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on Mr. Isaac Barlow from Busy Busy to the show. Isaac, welcome to Paint Ed. Thanks, Orlando. Happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, so just real quick, give us a little bit of a background about um, you and and how you come to identify this this problem of tracking um, resources to output how did how did this come about well honestly by doing it by by being in the business case okay? so i i started out you know like a lot of a lot of people i'm sure on your show do i started out right out of high school went to work for my brothers excavation was kind of a family trade and then i mm -hmm. end up working my way from the trenches up to you know managing projects operating machinery you know kind of every aspect of of running the business and operating it and then eventually find my way into the general management position of the company and estimating position of the company and then ownership position. And, and, and through all those pieces, um, you know, you're constantly looking at how you can hone your, your craft, how you can make it a better business. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges I had was trying to collect that labor data from the field. You know, how much, what time did you spend doing something? You know, how much time did you spend that I need to pay you for? What were you doing in those hours? What did you accomplish in those hours? You know, where were you at? What were you doing? What'd you accomplish? And that data was so difficult to get, you know, this is back in, um, yeah. you know, I found it busy, busy in 2010, but it was so difficult to get back then. It was like, I, I had a secretary that would work three quarters of her week, just trying to get time cards from the guys out in the field. And then a big portion of her time was trying to translate the legibility, which they're not always legible. So if you're using paper time cards, it can be tough. Yeah. And, you know, guys often don't even know what they're trying to track their time to. It's kind of like when you're in school, you know, and you have an essay question versus multiple choice, you know, multiple choice, right. you're, you're likely to get the right answer better. So anyway, what I needed was the business intelligence. And, you know, I have a philosophy that um, when you're doing, when you're managing a construction business, you need to have what I would call the construction accounting cycle, which is you estimate the job. You go out and execute basically in your estimate. You make your plan of how you're going to do the job. You go out and execute and in essence perform on that plan. Mm -hmm. And then you um, evaluate and see whether you, you know, whether your plan went according to plan, you know, whether your execution went according to plan. Well, that last step is what most contractors frankly don't do. You know, now, now right. I've been busy, busy for 13 years. And I can tell you that the majority of contractors across all trades do not evaluate their projects. Right. You know, maybe more than 50% of them. 
And that might even be a low number, but so you have to go in and start find a way to evaluate. And so what do you need to evaluate? You need to find out if the way you thought that job was going to go is how it went. Just like you were saying in the beginning of your show, you know, you have some people that are in the high range of production, the low range, the mid range. Mm -hmm. Did you plan on those people being on that job? If so, is that what you did? Did you put those people on that job? And if so, did they perform according to what you thought they would perform? That's the kind of things you need to pull in your evaluation. Exactly. So, so let's go back to the, to the, you know, to the beginning here of the, the estimate, because that's, that's one of the hardest uh, parts because, and, yes. and I tell you, when I go across the country and I'm speaking at different gatherings and different events and things like that, one of the, one of my most popular workshops is estimating because people don't know how to do it. Um, the, right. the, the aspect of understanding your production rates and, um, you know, how long things take, what are, what are the things that we need to know? Uh, and, and your, your point about getting that, collecting that information from the field, that is so hard. Like these guys, they, if, especially if they're paid by the hour, um, or even if they're just paid by the job, they don't care about the information that, that you want and need. Um, so, so where do we start? How do we start with figuring out a production rate? Well, yeah, I love what you said about when you estimate, you need to understand your production rates. If you don't, if you don't track your, if you don't track your data, you don't understand your production rates, you know, and part of being a good estimator, it's really a cycle. And that's why I refer to it as the accounting cycle is to be a good estimator. I've got to track and see the things that, that really exist, right? Because Mm -hmm. as an estimator, a lot of times we go into a project and we say, well, if I was doing this project, it would take me this amount of time, right? And you might be that top tier performer. You're the number one performer, right? Totally. Yeah. And so so then you you end up having to use some sort of factor. And you might say, well, I'm going to figure about 50% of the time or 75% of the time of what I would take. Okay. Those are all assumptions you're making. That's all fine and dandy. But if you don't have a cycle that you're continuously improving and you're tracking that data and bringing it back in and checking yourself and making yourself better and, you know, really continuing to hone your process until you really see that you're dialing in on what you want. Then I then I would say you don't really know how to estimate. You know, estimating right. is part of learning the data that exists and then continuing to apply that data. You know, the production rates that exist. Yeah, exactly. So so I think it, it sounds like it starts with at the very least, especially if you're um, in the field yourself. At the very least, oh. it's it's pra- it's uh, tracking your own time against a certain you know measurement or unit. Um, I yep. I you know, in, in our trade, you could do square footage. Uh, I think doing square footage of the floor plan is probably the worst way to do it just because you get into a building or a house. And if yeah. you're, if you're, if you're tracking this, yeah, you're doing the, it's like, you're, well, you're not painting the floors, you know, you're, you're painting the walls yeah. and the walls, there could be a hundred walls. There could be two, four walls, you know? So, right. so that I really push away, you know, push against bidding that way. If you're going to bid, you know, there's, I think, you know, square footage of the wall space, linear footage of the trim, um, units of doors and windows that that gets um, it gets a little complicated. um, But I think it's a place to start. Right. Like tracking how right. How much work there is and then seeing how much time your people take to actually do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to jump back to the motivation point, you know, about yeah. motivating them to actually track the data, right? So what I've, what I've learned in my experience of dealing with companies is a lot of times we have motivated them in the wrong direction on data tracking. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is we'll say, well, you have 100 hours to do this job. You better get it done in 100 hours, right? Mm-hmm. And so then what happens is if they go over 100 hours, sometimes they'll put the, the remaining time into another bucket okay, <laughs> or right. another project. Because right, they don't right. want to miss out on that bonus or that incentive or or they don't want to be yelled at or whatever the case is. Right. So one of my recommendations is if you really want to track things properly, you've got to create a culture that's data first. In other words, you, you've got to create a culture that says, look, to your team, I'm the estimator and I'm trying to learn how to bring you the best jobs possible so that you guys can produce at the highest rate possible. So that we can be a successful company to pay you the max amount for the market, whatever the, you know, however you're going to sell this to your team. And you say, listen, it's, an, it's 
the most important thing to me is that we get the accurate data so I can see where I'm right and where I'm wrong and I can mm -hmm. do a better job estimating, you know, please, please give me the right data. And so you've got to kind of incentivize and reward on just getting that data in. And that has to be part of the incentives. Mm -hmm. I, I have jokingly said, and, and it's not a joke, I would really do this. If I went out and started an excavation company in a new region, I would say to my team, I would say, your first job is to collect data. Your second job is to do your job. And mm -hmm. I would wager to you that within two years, I'd be the highest performing excavator in that region. Mm -hmm. Because every data point would tell me what I needed to do to change and and adjust my operations until I increase my performance higher and higher. Right, right. So so what I'm hearing is that it's it might even be more important to get accurate data first before you talk about incentivizing your team to perform. Because yes. if because if you are are you if you're focused on the performance first, then you're really incentivizing them to fudge the numbers if it if it suits them, right? Yes, right. Okay, I see that. Yeah, I see that. I definitely see that. And so, so I'm just kind of thinking through my own system here, because um, what we did is instead of going like instead of having so many different types of like measurements to track, we we just converted everything into a, a unit that we call a point. Uh -huh. And so every room that we paint gets a certain number of points. And awesome. uh, yeah, and each task has a certain number of points. And then each painter, depending on their skill level, is able to produce more or less points in an hour. Yeah. And so now where I think I'm, you know, where I could use some adjustment is this key thing is flipping it and saying, because we we're definitely trying to incentivize the production of points, but I probably need to focus first on getting the accurate um, measurement of how, what their actual production rate is without fear, without pressure, without, you know, anything so that we can just see the truth, right? It's all about getting, yep. getting the truth. That's right. Getting the truth. And then, then you can start making those adjustments that will assist production rates because sometimes the production rates, the other thing that helps with that, by the way, is if, if you have a mindset of, I just want to get to the truth, like you're saying, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I would have performed better if, right? If, right. if the paint supplies had got to me on time, if someone, you know, they didn't deliver my scaffolding on time, all that kind of stuff. And when you start really creating a culture that is, hey, I want the truth first or I want data first, um, mm -hmm. you actually start discovering all those problems and how, how often they repeat themselves. And you start realizing how much you're impacting your company, you know, your own production and revenue rates with those problems that maybe are out of control of the producers, right? Right, exactly. So it, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It, it starts it starts helping because you start it's almost like you're you're making your team part of your team of learning. Like, hey, we're all gonna be the best. Let's learn how to be the best. And so let's communicate really well. Let's let's tell each other what's happening and what we can do better and and you're really right. including them in team dynamics. Right. I have well, and I have sports teams. You yeah. Know? Like you, sure. like basketball, whatever's your favorite sport, right? You take any any player on that team, any position. If if they weren't getting data, if they didn't have analytics, like look, you know, you're making so much percentage of your free throws, or you're, you know, you're missing so many of your three point shots, whatever the case is, then they really don't know where they need to work on things. But if you've got the data, you know, you see yourself as the coach, and you start coaching, mm -hmm. saying, okay, you know, I want you to be the most successful, and just like sports, I also want you to be paid the highest. Like you be the most successful, right. and you get paid the highest. But let's let's make sure the communication is clear so that I can coach you properly. Right. And I think that the sports analogy is a really great one because, um, you know, if you've got if you've got a really efficient three point shooter versus a, a, a more efficient rebounder, then you're yep. going to put them in different spots on the court. And, and that that I think ties directly to, you know, our production in, in in our industry where it's like, look, if you just have somebody who is you know, a much more productive brusher versus a roller or a taper, then, you know, you're, you're not forcing that person to, uh, to work at something that they're slow at. You're, you're putting them in the place that, that they're the fastest at. And then you're also identifying opportunities for them to grow. You know, there's, there might be certain jobs where the, let's say you have somebody who's a little bit slower on brushwork and, you know, a lot of it is just because, 
well, they're slower, especially when the color is, you know, a dramatic change yeah. and, and they have to have extra precision because it's like just highly more noticeable. But you put them in a, on a house where the the walls are white and the ceilings are white and, and you're, you know, it's just going to be more forgiving. That cut line is going to be more forgiving. And so give them those opportunities there to work on the speed, get more comfortable to where they're not so nervous. Okay, I'm. I'm 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 with you on this. This is making a lot of sense. So my next question here is, um, you know, with regards to identifying the different skill levels and the different production capacities, um, one of the conversations that we were having before the call was how, um, you know, you guys are are, uh, you know, you know a lot about equipment, and you're saying that there are different equipments that have different they're different sizes and they have different outputs. And you're right. figuring out how to get the combination of the right size of equipments to the the job and, and all of that. Can you translate that? Can you help us translate that for painting and in our, our skill levels? How would we determine, um, you know, how would we kind of figure these things out? If we're, if we're going in trying to estimate, we've got a team of different skill levels. How do we think about that in terms of the planning aspect? I think, you know, one thing we would do, one thing I would recommend, and, I, and we talked a little bit about this before the call, where you have um, different levels of skill sets. And, I'm, and, and just for sake of conversation, I'm going to say you have three tiers of skill sets, right? You have a top mm -hmm. tier, medium tier, and a low tier. Um, I think as an industry, you have to recognize that you're always trying to move those tiers up, right? So you have to kind sure. of budget in a, a certain amount of training all the time. And so when you're doing your estimate of your job, if you estimate to always have only top tier on there, you know, the highest output people, that's probably a little bit naive because you've got yeah. to be continually, it's like a cycle or a pipeline that you've got to continually be bringing those third tier and second tier up a notch. And how are they going to do that besides working with the first tier guys? And so right. every project really probably needs a mixture of those, of those um, people. And so when you're doing your estimate, you have to, you know, maybe you use your top tier as the benchmark. And so if you say, well, a top tier produces at 100%, um, a medium tier produces at about 80%, and a bottom tier produces at 60, right? Mm -hmm. And then, then as you're estimating your production rates, you're utilizing that and you're recognizing, I'm going to put all three of those guys on the same job. And so it might be that it's the equivalent of, right. you know, three medium top and, and lower is the equivalent of 2.5 high performers, right? But that's right, just right, the reality right. of the situation. You're just going to put a top, a medium, and a low on there. Right. And you're going right, to estimate right. accordingly. And then you're going to track to the best of your ability to see if that's what happened. You know, if that doesn't happen, and maybe you start, you know, mixing that up a little bit. Maybe you find out that it's better to have two top tiers and one medium tier. So you really have a dominant force being the top tiers and you're pulling your medium tiers up, right? Right, right. But right. you're really creating that production level. And then as far as your comparison on equipment, you know, comparing things like if I am, if I am providing equipment in your industry, whether it's sprayers or, you know, lifts or whatever the case is, mm -hmm. how much is that impacting production rates? And so um, I'm sure that your project to project, there's projects that require, you know, equipment and projects that don't. And then there's right. probably a lower level of production equipment you can give them versus a higher level. And so you almost want to, you know, on this search or, you know, think of yourself as a truth seeker, right? So I might even just right. purposely stage two projects. And on one project that's that are ideal size, I give them the top tier piece of equipment that I can possibly give them. And on another project, I might give them the lowest tier piece of equipment I can possibly give them. Let's say like instead of lifts, they're using ladders and scaffolding, whatever the case mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And compare those two projects and find out how much does it cost me to have scaffolding instead of lifts? Mm, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm now starting to see the difference. Like, okay, I think scaffolding's cheaper, but actually, not only did it cost this much money, but it hit my production rates at this level. So, really, my opportunity cost on scaffolding is X, right? And so, right. lifts actually might be the better way to go. And you, ha you kind of have to do that, some of that experimenting. You know, it's almost like the scientific method, right? You're going through your hypothesis and you're testing it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that worked or that didn't work. And you, and you keep going and figure that out. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm I'm just running through different like experiments that you can run, you know, with the different tiers of people, you know, like there's there's always a hot debate in our industry about, you know, tape versus no tape and 
And I think that, you know, I, I think a lot of the more advanced businesses are in the, in the mind of like, well, yeah, I use tape because it's easier to train and, you know, and it, and it creates consistent results. But then you have, you know, some old school folks that, you know, your whole like worth and value and, and ego is built in, built around being able to paint without tape. And, uh, yeah. you know, so it's that kind of thing, but it's like, well, I, you know, really we're, we're, we are business owners, you know, we're craftspeople, but we're also business owners. So we have to, we have to think about the efficiency aspect. We think we have to think about what's going to get the best results. So maybe it's a matter of like, well, let's see what the difference is between if you were to tape it versus paint it by hand and compare, yep. you know, compare the skill levels, you know, can you get a lower skilled level person to tape it and then use a mini roller as fast as somebody who's advanced, who has to, who's just doing it by hand. And yep. if you see that those lower levels are hitting higher production rates because the methodology and the, you know, the technique that you're doing is faster and it produces the same results, if not better, then the, then the answer is clear what you would do. Same thing for, you know, spray versus brush and roll. Same for, like yep. you're saying, I like the, I like the ladder and the scaffolding and lift example, because, you know, there are some times where, um, even though the ladder you have less, like you have more movement and less distance that you can cover. But sometimes because you can move it faster than moving the scaffolding or, you know, maneuvering the lift around, sometimes the ladder ends up being more efficient, but then sometimes yeah. not. Right. So you, you can't guess at this stuff. You have to track it. Right. That's right. That goes back to the you know scientific method. Like if you look at a scientific, you know, a science experience experiment, probably one of the most um, critical things they do is track the experiment. Right. They wouldn't mm -hmm. do the experiment if they didn't track it. And so right. all these experiments, if they're just left in your head and you're not tracking it, they're not going to produce the value that you want out of them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I, I, I had a, a thought on your 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 craftsman just to give you a comparison to our industry. So years mm -hmm. ago, you know, I don't know how much you hear of it in your industry, but GPS um, grading, for instance, Years mm -hmm. ago, the, the top skilled grader in the excavation world, the top the top by a person is someone who'd run a road grader, you know, like perfection skill. This is high, like you say, high talent, high ego, all those things, just mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as, G, as GPS positioning came into our equipment, you know, 20 years ago, a lot of people resisted it. Mm -hmm. But today, you're not running GPS in the excavation world. You're falling behind and you're not going to, you're just not going to compete with everybody else out there. You have to run the GPS. Right. And we ended up finding out it was easier to bring in um, younger people that had no skill sets because it was too hard to retrain the great the operators. They would they did not want to trust. Oh, the, yeah, they didn't want to trust the technology, and so we had to bring in less skilled people that would trust the technology, and it worked out better. And the whole industry has now taken a whole shift. And so whenever you have a, you know, if you run your experiment, whenever you identify a more efficient system, you can mm -hmm. count on the fact that eventually that system will win. Right, right, right. It's uh, well, yeah. You're in excavating, so it's kind of the uh, the the John Henry, you know, uh, you know, fable or John Henry born with a hammer in his hand, you know. And the story goes that some uh, steam, like a steam engine, came in and could outperform most people, uh, yeah. in terms of mining, and uh, and John Henry beat the machine, but he died in the process. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eventually, eventually, the more effective or efficient method will win out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so when it comes to um, when it comes to that estimate, so let's say that we've done the work to, um, you know, gather you know at least enough information to put together that initial estimate, and now it comes to executing on the estimate. Uh, this gets tricky because you don't always know who's going to be on the job at the time of the estimate. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of unknowns. Um, things change. Um, so so how do we approach that um, the execution of the project based off of the estimate? 
we, we have that same challenge in, in our field. And that that's actually where we end up identifying these tiers because you're right. You don't always know the person. So if you bit, if you bid it based on this person, then that person's not available by the time the job comes around and, and you need to get the job done. And so what we end up doing was really identifying those different tiers. And we did use three. Mm -hmm. so we say we have a tier one operator, tier two operator, tier three operator. And, um, and so instead of saying, well, this estimate was based on Joe doing the job, we're like, this estimate was based on a tier one operator. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. we compare it with another tier one operator. And then, you know, it goes into the other aspects of your business of training and mentoring people to, to be able to categorize them into those tiers and help them move from one tier to the other. And, and some people really love that, those kind of badges where they can say, yeah, I moved up. I was a tier three and I moved up to a tier two, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I, that's what I recommend. And in three, I think is a great number and you can also do sub tiers. So like in, in our system, what we do at Craftsman Painters, we'll have an apprentice, a journeyman and a craftsman. Okay. And within each of those levels, there are three tiers. So apprentice one, apprentice two, apprentice three, Journeyman yeah. one, journeyman one, journeyman two, journeyman three. And then we go craftsman one, craftsman two, master craftsman. And nice. So you know, like reaching that, you know, reaching that pan ultimate goal, it not only does it help us accurately put people at on a not only a you know a level, skill set level, but also a pay grade according yeah. to that skill level, but it gives them something to aspire to. And That's Fantastic. Yeah. And what I've what I've found is that more and more I'm finding that the that the money incentives aren't working as well as just mm -hmm. like tracking your own production rates and comparing your, you know, your personal record to like what you've done before. And yeah, so like right. so each of those levels has its own production rate within our system, within our point system. And it says, okay, if you're, you know, if you're a craftsman two, then you need to be doing, you know, 2.5 points per hour. That's, that's too high. It's like two, it's like two points per hour. Well, yeah. okay. If you, if you could do two points per hour, then you're at that level. That's the level that you're at. But if you want to strive for more, now you need to be at 2.25, 2.5, 2.75. And as you consistently hit those levels and you sustain your own average, not only does your that badge go up, the level of your own prestige and, and skill goes up, but your pay rate goes up with it. And 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 I've almost noticed that, you know, just being able to say, I got 15 points done today. I was only I only was on the hook for 12, but I got 15 done. That's almost more of a motivator than how much money I'm going to make from it. No, no, you're absolutely right. This goes back. The, you know, this is I had this conversation with a lot of people about um, scorekeeping. Mm -hmm. you can call them you know top tier producers you know um a players whatever you want to call them right a high performer wants to be tracked right because they want that scorekeeping and you know it goes back to the basketball analogy how fun how motivated would the players be if, if there was no score right if there's no scoring like totally you know, if you didn't track how many times i stole the ball or made an assist or would i keep stealing the ball or making assists you know because right I want to be the, you know, John Stockton of assists, right? Or I want to be the Michael Jordan of points. I mean, whatever the case is, I'm, I'm not motivated if you don't give me some sort of tracking number to, to aspire to. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, those players to keep this analogy going probably too far, but yeah. keep it going, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, they negotiate their rates at the end of their contract. Right. And, yeah. and so, but that that internal drive, like putting up those numbers, putting up, up those points, they know that if they keep their stats up, that they have more negotiating power. Yep. And and so giving your team the ability to track their performance and to have that negotiating power gives them a competitive edge on their career. But it also ends up giving you the the data that you need to help them to help them do that because what you know what business owner wouldn't want their people to to succeed and to and to be able to provide for a business you know better lives for themselves that's right in our field it's it really is tied to production like you have to be able to produce in order to in order to get paid more and it's always a win-win for the owner it always right. is a win-win like like i'm sure you would agree like you wished everybody was top performers. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because they, they not only perform at high production rates, but they're usually less warranty work, less cleanup, less maintenance, less headache, all those things. 
And so if you can create that path for people to aspire, even if it does give them the ability to negotiate higher pay with you, you're probably going to make more money off them. Right. They're just becoming better and better uh, product producers. Exactly. Exactly. So, so let's talk about the, the evaluation aspect of it. Cause, cause this is one that, um, you know, I've, I've tried to make it simple. I've overcomplicated it. You know, yeah. I've, I've, I want all the data points. My, my crew wants to input zero data points yeah. and, uh, and getting them to do it is, is pulling teeth. Um, it's, it's really hard. Uh, and yeah. I think part of the reason why people that do it is because it's just so hard. And then you've, you've finished a job. So like, why do I, I got to go back and job cost everything. And, but I got to focus on the next job too. You know, yep. so there's just all of this stuff that makes evaluating and, and, and the actual meat of it, like the whole thing that we need is to track it, but it's, it's very difficult. So it is, how do we do this part? Well, I, so I would say the first thing you have is a culture war. Okay? Yeah. You, you have to start by establishing that you want a culture of data, like data first, like we're a data driven company. Okay. And the way to do that is we have to stop penalizing. It's, it's kind of like if you're, I don't know if you have kids, okay, but it's like I do, yeah. You, you tell them, tell me the truth, and then they tell you the truth, and you beat their ass, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm joking, but you know, whatever the case is, like next time, they're like, do I really want to tell the truth? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, right. so the same with your company is you have to have this culture. It's like, look, I need the data. You know, whether we won, whether we lost, whether we made mistakes, I need to have the data because that helps me form a better business. We're working together here. We're all trying to get better, just like the sports analogy. We're all trying to track the stats, right? I need the stats. And so what you have to do is create that culture where the data is exciting. You know, you're looking at postmortem, like, um, you know, I consider myself a high producer. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a game player. Like at the end of every job, I wanted the numbers. I want to know, did I win? Did I lose? How did I score? You know, what was my score? You know, did I make money? I mean, I want the data. Right. And you have to kind of create that in your culture where you start rewarding based on data rather than rewarding solely on performance, even though the performance mm -hmm. has rewards. And some companies have been successful by creating a mixture, right? Mm -hmm. where they focus on the data, they make sure the data is coming in properly, and then they reward um, they reward actions and performance is one of those things, but it's kind of a, mix, a mixture. So that doesn't motivate people because if it's just performance rewards, sometimes it can motivate people to give you bad data because they don't want to, you know, they, they've, you know, let's be real here. They've made some sort of commitments on these bonuses, right. you know, borrowed money or made a plan the trip with their wife, whatever. They can't lose that, right? Right, so, right. Yeah, exactly. So then they're doing whatever they got to do to get those bonuses. And so um, you have to shift that culture to where you're saying, okay, um, if I'm better at my job as an estimator and, and I can only get there by evaluation, I can only get there by evaluation so that I know what data points I'm missing here. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to produce more opportunity for all of you, all of my performers. And so you have to create that culture that says, look, the data is going to help all of us. It's not here to big brother you. It's not here to beat you over the head with it's here for all of us to learn like if we're a company that wants to be the best and we'd like to be the best at what we do then we need the data so we can all learn and then you have to make you know when you talk about how to implement it you have to be careful not to go too extreme like you said about going too far forward or too far backward you say okay let's first talk about the big wins what are our what are our big wins mm -hmm. um, if you haven't been tracking anything like say you're not doing any job costing and you're just looking at your company on a month to month basis, your first big win is shifting that to where you can start looking at it on job to job basis. Right. You might not have the details or the segments within the job, but you've got the jobs and that's a big win. And you should celebrate that. Like, look, we've moved up as a company, you know, we've moved from this kind of a month to month. We're just running our business based off. And you don't have to say it exactly like this to your team, but you can figure out the right way to say it. Right. right. But we've now achieved the fact that we know on our jobs, which ones we're winning, which ones we're losing. Well, what does that do? It lets us start focusing on picking winning jobs. Okay. We might mm -hmm. start identifying just with that data point. We might start saying, look, every time we do this kind of a job, we lose money. Right. Every time we do this kind of a job, we make money. Right. So the first thing I've learned as an estimator is I'm going to stop bidding those kind of jobs that make me lose money. And I'm going to focus harder on the ones that make money. Well, as the team, that's great. Because if I'm an A player, if I'm a team member, I know that if you're making more money, I got more opportunity to negotiate with you and to get right. more money myself. Right, right, right. No, I think that's I think that's exceptionally valid in in our industry. There there are some people who um, their crews are just more adept at exterior um, painting than interior. There are some that it's the exact opposite. I'm the opposite. Yeah. We're way better at interior than exterior. 
but then there's also an element of like, you know, we don't do as well when trim is involved as in when we're just doing walls, you know, right. which, which then becomes a little tricky because it's like, well, we can't just go into these jobs and say, Oh no, Mr. Customer, we don't paint trim. We just paint walls, you know, like that's right. we have to, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of a, a balance there, but we can say, Hey, we don't do exteriors, which, which we have. Right. And, and if we say no to something, to one thing, Sometimes that means saying yes to another. And again, in our case, it's like, well, okay, if we stay inside, but we're saying no to like half of the house, like half of the house is outside, half of the house is inside. If we're saying no to half of it, then we have to find another place to paint inside, which has really started pushing our, you know, our commercial work. And so, you know, those, I think those, those decision making things based off the evaluation is, that that is hypercritical. That is really important to this. Yeah. And I, and I totally understand sometimes you have to cover a certain scope of the project. Otherwise, you know, you, you create opportunity for competitors to come in and, and, you know, many things. So I, I totally get that, but yeah, if, if you're tracking the data, then at least you're to the point that you can have those informed decisions. Right. Right. So, so, you know, going back to the, you know, to the basketball analogy, like it's, you know, it's what you're saying is um, it's really hard to make it to the championship and know if we, you know, are a championship team, if we aren't checking the performance of each game, right? Right. (laughs) You can't really, you can't really get to the championship unless you, you know, keep an eye on that game record. Tracking exciting. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Like in your company, it's got to be exciting. And and the real key of it is what's in it for them. Right. You know, your guys are going to start giving you the data you need when it starts having something that's in it for them. Right. So is so so is is money the what's in it for them or is it something else? You know, to me, it's something else. So um, this this goes into another philosophy, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. But it's OK. <laughs> But money matters the most to people until they hit their level of covering their livelihood expenses, right? Mm -hmm. That's what matters the most. And what I try to do is I try to make sure salary hits that point. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the next thing that's exciting is typically bonuses, gifts, trips, things like this. And and what you can kind of think of it as is sometimes it's guilty pleasure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what the average rate is in your industry. Okay. But I'll give you an analogy from my industry. Let's say sure. someone makes um, $60,000 a year. Okay? okay. If I give them a $5,000 bonus, are they going to take a vacation with it? Probably. Probably yeah. well, no. Okay. Well, I don't know. Well, I guess depends my, on when it comes. <laughs> it does. Okay, it does. But I'm saying sometimes what happens is like, well, I could take a vacation, but I've got to pay for this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Right? Oh, it's sure. Yeah. Have to, right. But if the company sends them on vacation, man, that's guilt-free pleasure, right? You know, like yes. like you tell your wife, like, oh my gosh, the business is sending us to this trip, right? Yeah, right. What my experience has been is they will talk about that trip for years. Right. But they would talk about that bonus for a week. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why is because it's guilt-free. And so right. what I usually try to do is I'll say, okay, performance really drives kind of that base salary. But if you're tracking the data I need you to track and these kind of things, if we're all going to track data and we're going to be this winning culture, you know, we're going to do some fun stuff. Like, you know, we're going to we're going to do some fun things for the team and the company's going to pay for it. And then it feels like this guilt free, you know, like like, man, I would never bought this for myself. I've taken our team on right. trips before and, and had the spouses tell me we've never gone a trip and we probably never would have gone on one except for the company took us, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and so they're pretty excited about it. Yeah. And sometimes we take them and other times we give them kind of like a coupon or whatever to do it themselves, right? Like maybe they just want to do it with them and their family and you just give them the time. But anyway, I'm, I'm just saying there are other types of rewards that I found are better than monetary if you've got their base salary high enough to cover their needs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a, a book by a guy named uh, Daniel H. Pink. The yep. book is called Drive. You familiar with the Drive? I am. Um, I I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. And and in it, he talks about that exact idea that when you use money as an incentive, that performance actually uh, plummets. And and what people need in terms of money is they need enough to cover their baseline needs and expenses. And beyond yep. that, 
what people want in order to be motivated. They want a greater sense of purpose. They yep. want more autonomy. They want to gain greater levels of mastery, yep. you know, which is, which is exactly why we put in place those tiers because, you know, it's on a, it's on a path to mastery. The top level is the master craftsman. And, and, you know, he does say that the minute that, um, the the work becomes unmoored from money meaning that if you don't use enough money then you know performance is even worse than if you're strictly using uh uh you know financial incentives but the i think the main issue with financial incentives is that they are it's really easy to to misalign your incentives based off of the money because if yeah. you put money into one thing that sends a clear signal into what you value as a company. And so if you incentivize production speed, then they know that you don't care as much about the quality of the work, the mm -hmm. experience that you're providing to the customer, the camaraderie that you build as a team, you know, your citizenship as a, as a team player. You don't care about those things. You care about production. And so if that's what you care about, that's what they're going to go for. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, very interesting stuff. So, so uh, getting back to like um, how we track, like let's talk a little bit nuts and bolts about how we track the performance and how we do ultimately tie it to the um, to what gets done and what's getting done, because that's something that, um, you know, I've fiddled with. I've had um, I've had different apps uh, back in the day. I used to use uh, a company called T-Sheets. I hear that wow. since they were bought by QuickBooks, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, but I remember trying to get so granular with tracking in, you know, uh, tagging into different aspects of the job and it was overwhelming for my team and yeah. they just couldn't, they weren't, they weren't keeping up with it. They weren't, you know, time, you know, tagging into the right things and then they'd go backwards and it was a mess. So, so how do I, how do I make this simple and what do I, what does it mean to tie, um, your, uh, time and attendance to productivity? Um, so, so I try to think of it as, you know, from the crew's position, like I try to put more burden on the estimator to, to, uh, figure out the data and divide the data to what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, so the term I use is called super codes. Okay. And, okay. um, people, you know, people think when they estimate in terms of cost codes, which is true. And what I would call super code is any group of items that you do that you perform in the field together. And so I, okay. I use, I use the example in my work as, you know, sewer line, even though when I estimate it, I have to know how many manholes and how many laterals and how much mainline pipe or water line, I have to know how many, how much pipe, how many fire hydrants, how many fittings, all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when the team performs it, they don't think of it in terms of I've got to install. I mean, they, they do, but I'm saying they don't think like, oh, all day I've been working on that, 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 and I'm going to divide my time per fitting. Right. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. I've been working on waterline and so that's my super code. And so mm -hmm. I take a group of items that are performed together and I put them into a single code and that's the most granular I get, you okay. know, so the, the job site might be my first step mm -hmm. right? and then some subdivisions of the job. In other words, like him, you have the job and then you might have some breakdowns, but the most granular I get is to what I would call a super code. I don't go more than that. Got it. So, so in our industry, um, let's say we're painting the inside of the house. Our super codes would be prep, walls, ceiling, trim, doors, windows, right? That kind of stuff. Rather than saying, okay, job, we got the room. You're going to do the walls, but on the walls you have, you know, to fill nail holes, you have to sand, you have to tape, you have to lay down plastic, then you have to do the high cut, then you have to do low cut, then you have to roll, then you, you know, so that's too granular. But yep. across the whole job, walls, that's the super code. How, how long have you spent on the walls? How long have you spent on trim? How long have you spent on doors? If you're going to do doors all day, how long did it take versus how many are there? Yep. Is that right? That's right. And then your estimator, what he has to do is he takes those cost codes. Let's say there was 10 in a super code, right? Mm -hmm. So he has an allocation of labor that he has to group over 10 codes. And then he has to make an estimation of, of how to allocate it on those codes, right? As far as dividing it amongst them. 
but that's what I mean. I'm making it his burden. Like he might have to bid based on straight cost codes, but don't make the team track it that way. <laughs> make him have to right. decide because he, he can look at job by job and say, okay, I've got this super code. And when I have more of this particular item, they're taking longer. So I'm going to start putting more money on this particular item. Right, 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 right. Oh, oh, and I've got a yeah. higher percentage of this particular, like say in this, in this job, I've got way a ton of doors, right? They mm -hmm. took a lot longer but I still only made them track to the super code. Now I know, okay, the, the difference between these two jobs was doors. And so I'm going to put more money into doors next time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And if you, cause, cause in, in my system, that would actually work really well because what we're looking at is um, you know, we're looking at the individual productivity rates and if they're able to um, kind of go task by task, which they typically do, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're working on prep, the, then you're going to be working on prep until you're ready for the next thing. And so you can you can track that. And in fact, we uh, I mean, we, we like I, I'm always like, you know, is there a way to do this? It's real easy, you know, so like we even made yeah. these little um, you, if you're listening, you can't really see it. But we made these yep. little work tickets where we put the area and the description of it and how many points are on it. And then. Um, you know, we just group it like that by task. Right. And so we just take yeah. the sticky note and put it in the room and we say, all right, you know, you got, you got baseboards and there's three points of baseboards and you take this ticket, you bring it back and, and you got three points, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's how we do it. Right. So, cool. so this, this idea that, uh, uh, if we're grouping it by those super codes, which could be a, a category of a task, and we're comparing all of the um, all of the the productivity in that code to the amount of time. And if there's a name signature with it, then we know exactly what their production rate is for that super code. And we can make a lot of inferences from that. We can say, OK, Jim is faster at trim than Bob. And so we're going to have Jim do the trim but Bob is faster at painting doors than Jim. So we're going to have, we're going to have Bob do the doors and that yeah. way we're going to have a more productive team and, and they're going to be more productive, which is going to enable them to make more money and, and we're going to make more money. Right. Yep. That's right. That's smart. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. So, um, so, so then when, when we've, when we kind of have evaluated this and we've got our information, you talked about this being a cycle how do we bring it back around? How do we, you know, how do we make sure that we're continuing and sustaining this effort? Because it's, I think for a lot of us, we, we come up with this great idea, we do it for a little while, but then it's hard to sustain it. It's hard to keep going. How do we ingrain it to the degree that it's something that we do from now on? I think that's, um, you know, just jumping back to, I mean, it's not back to, I guess, because I haven't necessarily stated it so far, but when I talk to when I advise businesses on how to be successful, I tell them there's two main pillars in your business. Okay. And it's systems and culture and mm -hmm. one without the other doesn't really work. And so Absolutely. you have to create your systems and they have to feed into your culture and your culture has to um, basically utilize your systems. Right. And so you have to create that culture. That's a winning culture, you know, because, and that culture has to say, yeah, we win and we use these systems to win. And when we identify better systems, we use those because we're trying to win. And that mm -hmm. team culture, and again, that might be tied to incentives, might be tied to bonuses, might be tied to rewards, whatever the case is. But you have to create that culture um, that really keeps these things lasting. because, and, and they're not going to last if there's no what's in it for me kind of thing. Right, you know, right. Because at the end of the day, what's in it for them? Um, and that's why, I, that's why, at least in my world, I like to shift, you know, the pays based on your, you know, your skill set and your performance. And then I've got bonuses based on if you're doing the things that makes my job and my life easier, you know, as administration. Mm -hmm. I want, and, and data is, of course, one of the key items there. Interesting. It's, Interesting. Just, I mean, it's data, but there's more to it than just data. Like there's right. how you utilize the data, how you report the data, how you're communicating it back to the team. And... And in that data, like, you know, you just go through the process of your company, like part of your culture needs to be an opportunity to grow. Right. So I get mm -hmm. data back from you for you. I get data back from you that says I'm not I'm not quite at the skill I need to be. If I'm a high performer, my first question to you ought to be, well, how do I move? How do I level up? 
you know right what training yeah. what training do you have in place for me what 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 do you what can i do you know can you right, team me up right, with right. Do, you have, do you have classes i can take do you, what what can i do man because i want to i want to know how to grow in my culture Right. Well, and, and those are when, when we talk about bonuses and that, you know, the money, pure money incentives, maybe not being the, the, the golden ticket, you know, I think about things like, okay, a bonus of, I'm going to send so-and-so on a special training to a a cabinet finishing school in Boston, Mm -hmm. or um, like you said, the trips or a team meal. Um, you know, I, if I, if I'd known, so I, I, I joined a, a company for a little while that was really big on eating team meals. And like, if I had known how important it was or how good it felt to just like not have to worry about paying for my own lunch that day, like, you know, I, I, I was like, man, we're going to make meals a bigger part of what we're doing because, um, it really is, it's it's really quite the relief when you don't have to worry about paying for lunch, you know, because it's getting it's getting expensive out there. So so that's, it sounds like oh, guilt free thing I talked about. Yeah, Sorry, those guilt free you know, those guilt free bonuses. Because because yeah. with a money incentive, if I get a money bonus, then I have to go home and I have to decide: Am I going to pay this bill? Am I going to pay down debt? Am I going to pay? You know, like, uh, especially if you're one of the providers of your home, providers yep. of the home, we don't really get to use our own money. Like, <laughs> I don't That's care who you are. Like, man, we don't buy clothes. We... <laughs> exactly. <No. laughs> we don't get to use our own money. So so yeah. I like this idea of the guilt free, um, the guilt free bonus where it is something special that uh, it allows you to splurge. It allows you to have the the you know, that extra time because you're not deciding, oh, I got to, I got to, you know, pay that credit card bill off, which I mean, they should, but they should also be making enough money to where they don't have to rely on credit cards and they don't have to get in trouble. And and if they are, yeah. they can get out of it. I so, okay. Sorry. I love your, your Boston trip example, because you can do fun things with that where, you know, you're already paying for flights, you're already paying for a hotel. Right. You can say, well, you know, we need you to go out here and this is a one day trip, but we're going to add three days, whatever it is, you know, to your trip. And you can take your wife with you, or, you know, and basically go have a good time. I right. mean, you can utilize things like that where you're kind of already spending half the money no matter what. And you can spend just a little bit more money and and make it a fun thing for them. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Um, Isaac, uh, you know, this, this time tracking thing um, and, and tying it to production, there are tools out there. You could do it on pen and paper. You could do it, you know, and with a spreadsheet, but I have a feeling that you have a way to make it a lot easier. You want to tell us about busy, busy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everything we've been talking today, this has always been my passion and, and, you know, what I think about all the time. And so um, 13 years ago, I founded a company called busy, busy, and it's now uh a very large company uh, it's, you know, we, we provide for thousands and thousands of contractors and, you know, across the Canada and Australia. And just, um, I, I mean, I think, I think we're pretty well recognized as leader in the industry on time tracking. And, and uh, what we do is we do time tracking specific for contractors to solve the problems we've been talking about today so that you can not only track your time and get paid by it, but you can also take care of other, you know, where you're doing data analytics, where you're tracking your time to, to jobs or cost codes or super codes, depending on how your company works. And we also have scheduling features so you can schedule your teams and say, this is what we plan on you doing. And instead of your team um, having to worry about every little detail, you can just clock into it. If the team is going, if they're doing the work according to the plan, Busy Busy covers that. We have daily reports, photos, notes. We have safety features. We even have some great new safety features or you know, whole safety systems we're coming out with today. So we really do more of like labor management and job site uh, management for you as far mm-hmm. as job site data analytics. And time tracking is the core of all of that because that's really the core of the variable numbers in your business. But it's a fantastic tool. And I would say the most unique thing about it is it's customized for the construction industry where there's a lot of tools out there that are generically good yeah. for time tracking. But this well, I was going to ask you if I was going to ask you if I could, you know, have you compare it to something that is, you know, uh, known like like T-sheets or something like that. You know, yeah. what, what would be a compelling reason to choose Busy Busy over over something like that? 
we, we pick up a lot of customers from T-Sheets, um, especially since they're required by Intuit, because Intuit, you know, they want just a generic time tracker that works for all kinds of industries. And um, mm -hmm. so usually when we go head to head with T-Sheets, customers end up um, going towards Busy Busy. But the, the real difference is that we know the needs of the construction service. So for example, you can set up your, your time tracking that when someone signs out, you know, you can ask them, were you injured today? You know, same thing you would ask mm -hmm. them on time card, like, were you injured today? And so they get to say yes or no. They sign off on it. We have digital signatures. They sign off of their time being right. So we understand the Department of Labor. We understand um, OSHA. We understand, um, you know, your, your insurance claims, workers' compensation challenges, all that stuff. So that's all incorporated into the app. And so we have a lot of those problems there. And a lot of the problems we track for you, and they, they only matter when they matter. So right. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know what I mean? Like when you get into trouble, all of a sudden you're like, man, I need this data because all of a sudden I'm getting to a lawsuit or something like that. And then we've got it right. all for you because we understand those kind of issues. A lot of compliance and regulation issues. We we have it set up where you can take photos and you tag them to the project. And that photo is time stamped and date stamped and GPS stamped. And so we've had people get out of $100 lawsuits because they had photos taken of materials that were drop shipped on their, on their site. Mm -hmm. You know, like those materials were damaged or someone, you know, didn't deliver what they were supposed to deliver, or even, you know, the testing was happening, the inspector was there. So, you know, they can take progress photos and production photos, and they get all tagged and organized to the job. And if you get a habit of doing that as part of your systems, you know, it's just a great system. And when does it matter when you have a problem, and then you're going right. back and digging up the and digging up the records. And so using a system like busy, busy, that's customized for construction. It just picks up a lot of those other items that you don't realize so much that you need, you know, awesome. because it has it in there. And it's, you know, all of our, I would say all, of, you know, maybe 5% of our customers are not construction, but the vast majority of all of our customers are construction. So we innovate based on construction and we do things based on that. We have daily job reports that you can literally collect your, your time, your photos, your notes, everything that's happening, everything that all your crew is putting in on the job within 15 seconds you can produce a daily report that you can send to the gc that shows how many men you had on the job what times they spent mm -hmm. what they were doing all that kind of stuff and so i guess the best way to explain it is it's just easy it's just customized for the industry and it's easy and if you set it up right it, it's not a big burden on your you or your team to use and in fact we get a lot of referrals from team members that go to another company and say hey man you should try right busy busy so the employees kind of like it because they get to see visually their data too. Right. You know, they can see their data over time and, and they like that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, uh, to listeners, visit busybusy.com to learn more um, and uh, check it out. Uh, this this has been a great conversation. Um, if, yeah. if we get all of this right, if we dial it in and we have our tracking right and we evaluate it and we're, we got better estimates and all of this, what does our life look like in the end? Oh, man. I, I often tell people this, this exact thing. I, when, when someone tells me that they don't want to set up systems and processes, I tell them, you should love yourself more. Like what your <laughs> life looks like in the end is more happy. Like <laughs> the more systems and processes you have in your life, then, then your mind feels at ease. You don't feel like you're wearing this, this chaotic burden where you're just continually putting out fires. If you will put systems you know, like say two pillars, right? Systems and right. culture. If you'll implement systems and culture in your business, it's going to be like self-love, you know, <laughs> you're just going to yeah. have a happier. I love it. Isaac, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you, Torlando. Appreciate it. All right, there we go. Isaac Barlow with Busy Busy. Uh, great conversation. Uh, I, I always love when I can talk about the book Drive. That, that's one of my favorite business books and uh and getting people productive um i i do believe that this time of year is a great time of year to actually be thinking about this stuff um i know that coming away from the uh from the slower season you're you're uh really motivated to find work but finding time to set up these systems and these ways of incentivizing your people to be their best and perform the best to rethink the way that we uh, structure our jobs and the way that we um, uh, do do our job costing and knowing our, our profitability, a lot of the problems that we face in the slow season could be solved by having better operational systems 
in the busy season. And so I encourage you to get a handle on this and to go back and take notes. Um, thank you so much for the to the PCA for uh, being a show producer, for producing the show. This is a PCA show. Uh, make sure that you come out to the expo if you don't have plans to do that. And visit us um, online. Visit us uh, at the Facebook group, the Paint Ed group, where you can get tons of feedback from your peers. Check out and keep um, tabs on whether there's a gathering group in your area. If you are putting together a grad- gathering group or you have a, um, a paint rep who is putting together a, an educational conference, um, keep my name in mind. I, I would love to come out and visit you in your area and run a workshop. I've got great workshops on um, estimating, field marketing, production management, more. Um, reach out to me, connect with me on Facebook. I'd be happy to be your friend. Thank you for listening to the show today. My name is Torlando and this has been Paint Ed. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.